If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. Last week, uh, we kind of introduced the book and got our... Got our feet wet. Let me do some do some uh, water and some fish puns here tonight, I guess. But we got interested in this story of this man who's supposed to be a prophet of God, as a leader of God's people, and he's been commanded to go to a region that he didn't want to go to. And so as we noticed in chapter 1, instead of going towards the problem and the problem people that were going to give an opportunity to have a second chance, he takes off in the opposite direction. Instead of going on land to the city he's supposed to go to, he goes as quickly as he can to water and then get on a boat to head to Tarshish. And uh, that's where we left off in this section uh, at the end of chapter 1. Now, we did read that last verse in verse 17 last week, and we will highlight that as we move forward in our time together uh, tonight. And so I want to begin there with the reading from Jonah. Uh, chapter 1, verse 17, and we'll go through chapter 2 tonight. And again, this is a fish story, so we're using fish illustrations and pictures and color. I didn't know last week the teens were going to be in here, but I'm sure if you're like me, you remember getting up for cartoons. Although I did have cartoons on a a black and white television for a while. I don't think you had that struggle. That was tough. I realized that it doesn't really matter when it's Mickey Mouse, it's black and white anyway. But most of the other cartoons, it was a shock when I saw them in color. So tonight, the outline will be this. It'll be Jonah swallowed by the great fish. Jonah is praying in the great fish. And then, of course, uh, he is spared from the great fish. Let's begin chapter 1, verse 17. Now, the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regarded worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving I will pay what I have vowed, salvation 
is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and had vomited Jonah onto dry land. Let's go through this and dissect, if you will, these different sections. The first one will start there with verse 17. Very simple tonight, three Ps, okay? First of all, we have a problem. The problem is, as Jonah is cast off the deck of the ship, he is now immediately swallowed by a great fish. Remember the storm stills as soon as he hits the water? The sailors, uh, I'm sure, would have seen a spectacle of a sight. Uh, If you've ever seen videos of large fish in the water or whales in the water, when they come up, you you can see it before they hit the surface. The water's moving, and he's just swallowed whole. Uh, And so this is going to become a a major problem for him, obviously. But there are a lot of things that I think Jonah would want us to know from the story itself. And so let's start with just asking the question, is this possible? Is this possible? Uh, I was listening to a very famous uh, television news anchor. uh, And uh, I guess I'll just mention it was Bill O'Reilly. He was on uh, Fox News. This has been probably eight years ago, ten years ago. And he was debating uh, another uh, person who was a Christian scholar, and he said that he believed most of the Bible was fiction. He believed that most of the Bible was just myth or stories to give illustrations. And when challenged on it, he said, this is the one. This is, there's no better story to point out in the Bible of uh, something that didn't happen than this. And so he boldly proclaimed on national television to millions of people that he felt like the book of Jonah was made up, that it was a a figment of a prophet's imagination. It was a really good story to teach children to obey God or he'll get you. Well, I submit to you tonight that that is bunk, okay, that is false, That is completely wrong because this story is in the Word of God to be mentioned not for a point of teaching, but for a point of showing what God can do to bring mercy to his people and to others outside of his fold. The reason why we know that is because when we go to the New Testament, Jesus tells the story as fact. It happened, and it happened to Jonah, and it happened in the exact way that it says it did. Now, when we look at this this great fish that is going to swallow him up, another question that is brought, problematic if you will, people will say, well, let's say that that Jonah was swallowed by this great fish. What was it? I was in a Bible class once where two sisters got at each other because one called it a whale and the other one said, it's not a whale, you know? They said, yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Like children, separate And so that's a problem. People say, well, was it a whale? Was it a whale or was it a great fish? In fact, I think it was the uh, Bible version of Wheel of Fortune, the game that uh, you could play on a CD. This has been probably 20 years ago. We bought the CD. We were playing it at home. And it said uh, what was, you know, it, it basically said Jonah was swallowed by a whale or something like that. And so immediately I said, oh, 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 it doesn't say whale. It says great fish. So let's deal with that tonight. Uh, The word that's used, that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40, is the word uh, kutos, I believe is how you pronounce it. And it means sea monster. Okay? So Jesus uses a word that looks like, sounds like, what we would say is a whale. But he doesn't use the exact same term. 
as what we would see in other Greek languages as a whale. So when we look at Jonah, and depending on your translation, does anybody's translation tonight say whale? Does it? There's a few that might. Mine says great fish. Now, because I have the pulpit, I will tell you what I think about the text. It says great fish, and I'm going to believe it was a great fish. I'm not sure about what this creature that was created was a singular fish. We have, no, we have no clue as to what it is or what it looked like. It may be that it was a special creation. And the fish is prepared to do this great thing. Now, another thing, another problem that comes to this is if it is a fish or if it is a whale... How can Jonah go into the belly of this creature and stay alive? Well, that's another good question we'll do our best to answer tonight. There are a few different examples of things being found after uh, whales or large fish have been caught and brought to the surface. In fact, there's evidence, and I don't, I don't have them on the slides tonight, but if I, I, can, I have them in a file... There are times that they have caught large fish or whales and found inside of the bellies of them some amazing things, including license plates. I don't know how that happened. They found one time a full-armored man and his horse inside of a giant fish. How's that possible? And could they stay alive? Well, it has happened before. There are examples of individuals that have been swallowed, and there's one specific story of a man that had been that they had rescued. He'd been swallowed. I think he was on a fishing boat, and he fell off, and he was swallowed up by this this big whale. And when they pulled him out, his skin was just as white as could be. The pigmentation had been taken out of his skin because of the stomach acid in the great fish. So it's happened before, it's documented to have happened before, and if a fish or a whale could swallow a horse or a car, then it would make sense that it could swallow a man. The other thing to take in mind is that because Jonah is spared is showing God's providence. Jonah was allowed to survive inside the whale for two reasons. One is he needed a come-to-Jesus moment, okay, amen? He's got to have a come-to-Jesus moment, all right? He's got to know what he did was dumb and that he needed to correct it, and he does in the prayer we'll get to here in a minute. The second thing we need to know from this is Jonah has a job to do, and God has already prepared the hearts of the people. So the fastest way to get back to where he was supposed to be was not on a ship that was covered by the wind, but by a fish that could swim super fast to get to the land where he would be delivered, let's say, okay? So it would make sense that God, in, in, words, in, in an expediency way, takes him there to place him on the land to get the quickest route to the city that he was supposed to go to. And so the problem is Jonah's situation. The people will make all kinds of issues with the story. And, and they'll just, they read chapter 1 and they'll read verse 17 and they go, ah, I'm not sure this is, but I'm telling you, it is fact. Jesus confirms that it is fact. So let me pause here for a moment and say, what questions do you have or statements you want to make about the story so far before we get to his prayer? Yes. 
Okay, go ahead, Billy. Right. Yeah, that's right. Right. As kids play, that he could create a fish or a whale that could swallow a man and keep him alive. Jeff? Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and Leviathan is mentioned in, in, Revel- or in uh, Job as some great beast, uh, and we, we really don't know what that was. Yeah, go ahead. It's okay. Oh, yeah. Good. Excellent. So that uh, it's called defending the defending the truth. I believe it is the name of the Bible, but it's uh, the Apologetic Express Bible has a two-page reading on this exact subject. Okay, Rick. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And I'll state that again for those listening online is that uh, in public school and sometimes in households, people will begin to question and doubt different things. And when they begin to teach that or share that or spread that with others, it becomes kind of this, this uh, ongoing story of how, oh, this probably didn't happen. But they do that not just with this story. They do it with many others. Uh, in fact, they begin to question the resurrection of Jesus. They question the Tower of Babel. They question the flood. And what I love is I don't need it. It doesn't, I, I'll be fine without it. I don't have to walk where Jesus walked. I'd love to go over to the Holy Land, but I, I don't have to do that to know he walked there. But what's really neat is God perfectly preserves things from time to time. And out of nowhere, they'll have some archaeological dig and they'll find something and they'll go, oh, well, maybe, maybe the Bible is right. They won't say that, uh, but they did that for many years saying the Hittites, no such thing. The Bible tells us, oh, there's, it never happens. And then all of a sudden they dig up something, and they go, oh, well, there, there were Hittites, you know, but then they'll say, well, your dating's wrong. They'll say, oh, the, the world's millions and millions and millions and millions of years old, uh, and then they'll stumble across something uh, that's just a pure shock. Like, for instance, they find a dinosaur that they can actually bend the muscles on it, and they're like, well, we don't, it's miraculously preserved for a million billion years, and so it, instead of turning into dust, you can actually bend the muscles on the, on the bone. It's like, how's that possible? Well, it was a miracle. Maybe it was preserved because of the Ice Age. 
kind of like Encino Man, wasn't that the one where the Polish, the Polish Shore, who's in that one, Brandon Frazier, remember where he's, he's like an ice, and he's a caveman, and he comes out, you know, and that's what the world wants us to think, is that there are things that are preserved in ice miraculously, and that's the only way that you can find or study anything from historical value, but we know that the Bible tells us, the Bible told us about paths in the sea before we knew there were paths in the sea. The Bible speaks of the stars and their placing and their location before we ever knew. Uh, there were a lot of people that thought that the world was flat. Well, there still are some people that think the world is flat. But anyways, we, before the Bible teaches us, there are four corners, yes, but the Bible speaks of the world that is round. And so we, we begin to read and study things, and we're ahead of the game. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't appreciate the, the, the tone of people who say that the Bible's against science. The Bible's not against science. God created it. You know, God created this world. And it is by his, his uh, own mouth that creation came into being. And so when there is a dilemma, it's usually because something, and this is just a very simple, I'm a simple person. One of the reasons why this is a problem is because people are trying to teach an agenda. And so they come up with a hypothesis that they teach as fact. And there's none greater example than Darwinism. Uh, they come up with one thing. You know, Darwin, if he were really smart, he would have compared the evolution of humans to birds. That would have been a whole lot easier. That would have been a whole lot easier. Because birds can change different sizes, shapes. They can, sometimes they can fly, sometimes they can't. Feathers fall off. Such They would have had a better job of explaining the evolution through birds, but instead he chose a monkey. Well, then where'd the monkey come from? Well, then you got to go back and say, well, at one time the monkey couldn't stand up, and then at one time he was this and that and this and that. And it's very difficult. But he says, oh, they're, they're our closest ancestor uh, in the evolutionary chain. Well, we've locked up a lot of monkeys. You know, none of them are composing Beethoven. You know, it's not happening. There's nobody. In fact, they actually had a bunch of monkeys they put in a room once with a, a computer or a typewriter, I think it was, to see if eventually they would type out some uh, beautiful something and all they found out was they like to eat the letters and defecate on the machine there is nothing there is and they could leave them in there for a hundred years thousand years and there's no way that they're going to stand up and speak and start typing things on that typewriter it's just not going to happen and i think it's great to recognize that each creature is created especially for this world. God individually created each one of those creatures as he individually created us, that they have a purpose and a plan. You can't help but look at a giraffe and go, how does this work? You know, how does this, you know, sometimes when I'm eating, I don't get full fast. I can't imagine being a giraffe. It takes a long time to get to the stomach. But for whatever reason, God created them like that. And it's beautiful. It's wonderful. Uh, and so this is a small problem, but the main reason is because people want you to doubt the word of God. And God will have the last laugh, if you will. There are many times things are dug up and found and they go, well, we didn't even know. It's like in Egypt, you know, not long ago, they, they were uh, doing some excavations and found that there were 12 what looked like little temples in a circle. And they went through and started dusting them off and looking at them and the hieroglyphics that were in them. And one of the, they were considered to be tombs. One of the tombs was empty. That it could be, tell, they could tell that one of the bodies had been removed. And so, you know, they're over there dusting stuff off and looking at the hieroglyphics and things and seeing that there was a great famine and that apparently this one particular of the bodies looks like he's wearing a Pharaoh hat, but he's not the Pharaoh, but he's holding all the stuff. They start dusting that stuff off. And, of course, they're just confused. Like, oh, there must have been a time in Egypt's history when there were 12 kings that ruled together. They keep dusting and keep dusting and, hey, you can't figure it out. Well, 
Christian archaeologist steps in and goes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, 12 tribes that come from 12 people and one tomb is empty. Oh, yeah, there were 12 tribes in Israel during the time of the Egypt. And one of those, his bones was taken out of the tomb and taken to the promised land. And so this is easy. This is 12 tribes. That's Joseph's body that's not, not in, the, in the tomb. Oh, and then they go, oh, well, the owner, they, well, that's not it. Well, it's interesting that a lot of the letters that are used look a lot like Hebrew. And what they'll do then is take chisels and hammers and ching, 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 and remove them like they did in Texas when they found uh, feet running through what was clay that had hardened into rock. And they had a small dinosaur being chased by a large dinosaur being chased by a human. And each of those footprints were made at the exact same time through that. And they made a big deal about it, put it on television. Oh, we found that, that dinosaurs existed with humans. And it wasn't long before somebody came in and ching, 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 they took away that footprint of the human, and it's not there anymore. Luckily, they have video and evidence and pictures of it, but it's gone because people don't want you to think that the Bible is true, and they don't want you to believe that the stories in the scriptures are absolutely accurate. So it should make us frustrated. You know, it should. Right, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Right. That's right. Yeah. It was under God's control. That's right. That's right. God controlled the fish, controlled every step of the way. <laughs> That's right. God had the ability to shrink him and put him in there if he wanted to. But yeah, it is. Uh, and, and the great part, too, about the prayer, which is the second section, is that his prayer, you can tell his brokenness. And sometimes, sadly, a life and death experience causes people to reevaluate their life. Um, we have a moment where we wake up. It's kind of like an aha moment. And we say, oh, my goodness, I... How have I lived this life? How have I done this? Some people, it's their Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, and it doesn't happen until they're late in life. Some people, it happens when they're younger in life, where they have this moment where they wake up and say, I'm just, I'm, I, uh, I've got to change. I've got to do something different. And so he prays inside the fish. He prays a beautiful prayer. And I want you to notice he talks about the seaweed wrapped around his head. Now, David uses a similar illustration when he feels like he's headed to Sheol. But Jonah is showing us that it wasn't just like he's resting in there. Um, I'm trying to remember, maybe in Pinocchio. There was one Disney cartoon where it shows him in the belly of the fish. Was that it? It was Pinocchio. So it's not like they had a, he had a candlestick and a seat, three-legged stool, okay? He's inside of this thing. Uh, how he's able to keep track of time is another question. But anyways, he is inside of this thing, and he is, he is, he is uh, compelled compelled to pray because he thinks he's going to die. 
And so he has these three days, these three days to think about what he's done. And he could die from strangulation from the, that's a lot of seaweed. And I've been in seaweed before. In fact, I think I told the story uh, to some uh, friends here just a couple weeks ago. But I remember uh, we were in uh, the ocean. I had only been in the ocean maybe two or three times. And uh, we were here in like October or September. And I was out in the water and there were jellyfish up on the seashore. And I thought, oh, this is going to be dangerous. And so I'm out there, and we're looking for jellyfish, and all of a sudden something gets wrapped around my foot. And I don't think, I, I'm a big guy, but I moved quick that day. Or at least I felt like, I, I felt like the flash jumping out of that water. And I'm like, jellyfish, jellyfish. And it was just seaweed wrapped around my foot. But there are times that when you see the seaweed at the, on the beach, it's, it's little, it's small. But this fish has, this great animal has had to eat something. So there's stuff inside of its belly and, and then as his prayer goes on, he begins to talk about being in Sheol, surrounded by water. It, he could hear the sound of the ocean or the sea around him. He could hear inside of this great fish. And so he is, he's, he's kind of smashed in here. He's got the sounds on the outside. Uh, he talks about the, the gaps there, the bars. I'm thinking, you know, maybe thinking about as he's going into the fish, seeing the teeth, you know, down down in the middle of this thing. And uh, I think VeggieTales did a pretty good job with Jonah and the, and the big whale or big fish, whatever it was, uh, where they show him just kind of going around and sloshing around. And I, I know that in those moments, you would think you'd give up hope, but he realizes he still has hope, which is why he's praying at this time. And so he talks about going down in the depth of the sea. In other words, he can feel the fish going down into the depth of the water. And then he can feel as the fish comes up out of the water. And so he, in a way, realizes that his salvation may be coming, and it may be coming quickly as he gets towards the top. But he wants to make sure that he is ready to meet the Lord no matter what. Now, I was reading a commentary several years ago, and they were talking about how it's possible maybe Jonah died and then as he is ejected out of the fish, that maybe it breathed breath back into his nostrils and he became alive again. I do not believe that. I believe that he was alive the entire time of the three days, and he was in prayer asking God to help him, to give him deliverance. Now, does he deserve it? Nope. He does not deserve salvation, but God is showing him you are my vessel. And another reason why I believe that there's no doubt in my mind Jonah the prophet wrote this, wrote this uh, book is because of the details and of the story he tells from a first-person perspective. And he says, me and I. And so this is him writing this, uh, this story. And then he says, uh, you know, he talks about the mercy of God, and he says, I'm going to sacrifice to you the voice of thanksgiving. In other words, he can't burn on anything on an altar down here in this big fish. But he says, I'll give you the sacrifice of my praise. I'll give you what I can. I will give you what I can. People will say, well, you know, as you get older or if you have some kind of a, a disability that keeps you confirmed uh, to, a, uh, uh, to a bed or to a wheelchair, something like that, I say, what can I do? What can I do for God? You can use your voice uh, to offer praise and thanksgiving to God. And you can talk to people about the greatness of God, and that's what he's doing. Is with his, he says, if, I, if I'm going to take my last breath, it's going to be praising God. And it is with that that we come to the disgusting part of the story, which is the puke, okay? Uh, he is 
the word that's used here is the word vomit, okay? Now, I'm a, I'm a sympathetic vomiter. If I hear it, see it, smell it, think it, I'm, I'm done. Jonah is ejected from the fish by vomit, okay? Now, it is not, you would think, again, that a whale would spout him out through the blowhole, right? That's not Jonah's story. Jonah says that he was brought to the edge of the sea, which means he's up towards the sand, and he is vomited out, okay? Now, I'm not going to get into detail, but we will say that, ooh, okay, disgusting. As Jonah gets up, and he begins to head into the city to preach, which would be a pretty good walk, uh, he gets out somewhere around Palestine is where he's going to be to get out and to walk towards the city and preach about deliverance. But we know that he is spared, but he has uh, side effects, consequences, if you will. As I mentioned, one of the things that we know from the acidic uh, portion of the stomach of an animal is that it will change color. And so it's very possible that as he has uh, exited the fish, he smells like fish guts. I remember when I was a kid, I didn't like the fish. I loved to eat fish, didn't like to clean fish. My grandpa always made it look easy. You know, he had the fillet knife and he'd plug it in and and it was so easy. He'd get right in behind those gills, you know, and I'd say, oh, that's great, I could do that. Well, I tried to do it, I couldn't do it. I hated it. I hated the smell of it. What I hated the worst about it was trying to get the fish smell off. If you go fishing in new shoes, pitch them. I mean, you can't get them clean. They're going to smell like fish for the rest of their days. So if you have been in the belly of the fish, it's not your hands that are filthy, okay? It's not your feet that are filthy. It is not part of your body that's filthy. It is to his core. Now, when he entered the fish, I don't recall him having bags with him. Y'all with me? Did he have a spare set of clothes? No. Okay, did he happen to have a bottle of head and shoulders? Is he carrying zest with him, you know, or a dove shampoo or dove soap? No, he's exiting the fish. He's going to smell like the belly of a fish, and he's going to look like his pigmentation has been taken out of him. If you have somebody that comes walking up to you the way Jonah comes walking off the seashore, you would say, man, you've had a bad couple days. He looks rough. That's an important part of the next chapter. The Ninevites worshipped fish. They worshipped fish. They loved fish. If there was ever a group of people, a tribe, a nation of people that loved fish more, I don't know of one. They celebrated the fish with their artwork. They celebrated the fish with markings on their body, on their buildings. They loved fish. And so in order for Jonah to be successful in his evangelism with a city that loves fish, he's going to come in smelling like a fish. And he's going to have a story that will bring the crowd with him from day one to day two to day three to the center of the city as he's coming in with his robes drenched with 
fish guts and smell and seaweed wrapped around his head, and he reeks. It doesn't say he stops for a shower. In fact, the only joy he gets out of the whole story is when he gets done spitting out a couple sentences and goes up to the top of the hill and says, now God, kill them all. That's the only joy he has to set underneath a plant, which we'll get there in chapter 4. But he looks a fright. That is intentional for him to be successful in evangelism. Yeah, Billy? <laughs> that's right that's right yeah I wouldn't I don't know I probably would swear off fish for years if I were Jonah <coughs> that's right yeah <coughs> you ever had the stomach bug and you can't decide what you want to do you know I'm like that I don't want to let it out right can you imagine can you imagine the pain of the fish we don't sympathize with the fish enough maybe we should this poor little critter Yes. Yes. God's mercy and grace. Right. That's right. That's right. So God's grace and mercy is present on every page of this book. Uh, he is about to do a great work and probably one of the greatest revivals in biblical history that Jonah gets to be a part of. And not only did he not want to be a part of it, when it's over with, he's ashamed that he was, which will be a whole nother lesson for Jonah. This story is as much about the Ninevites as it is about someone who calls themselves a disciple, a follower of the Lord, and doesn't do his will. The New Testament teaches, Jesus teaches us, that we need to do the will of the Father. So let's take away, we got four minutes here. Let's just take away two things, okay? From the, oh, Steve, you got something? Okay, two things to take, okay? We're simple. Number one, prayer solves problems. No matter how big of a pickle you find yourself in, no matter how deep your troubles may seem, the depth of the ocean, the things wrapped around his head, and you will have things wrapped around your head, mentally you cannot let go of. You struggle through depression and anxiety and frustration that God isn't hearing you, he's not answering you. And when you turn your back on God, he gives you an opportunity to change. And you don't want to because you enjoy the sin you're in or you're comfortable with the problem that you've created and you don't know what to do. Jonah does what we should do and that is pray. It doesn't matter, again, what you've done or where you are, God can and will deliver you. Even from the depth of the ocean, with a man that has been swallowed by a great fish because God prepared the fish. And God had, that fish was specially created, I believe, to take Jonah on a journey for three days to where he was supposed to be. Takeaway number one. And this is my favorite one, number two. When you don't follow God, things get messy. Okay? 
If you don't follow God and you don't do his will, things are going to get messy. And the problem is when you create a mess, even when God delivers you, you still live with the consequences. Jonah has to deal with the smell, the sight of what he had done. And I'm sure if Jonah had a wife, I'm sure he can hear her voice echoing in his head. You know, where were you? What did you do? You ran from God? Wondered where you were. You know, other people among the tribes, among other people among the Israelites would have said, Jonah, where you been? Why did you run from God? What would you do that for? The sailors basically want to say that. What, you're, you're God's prophet. Why would you do this? Things will always get messy when we turn our back on God. So the answer, the solution to it is just do what he says to do the first time. Doesn't that sound easy? That's great advice. We give it to our children. In fact, we don't, want to give, we don't want to give an explanation. They say, well, why do I have to do this? Because I told you so. I mean, those are, those are our favorite words. I told you to do it. That's why you do it. He had been told what to do, and he didn't. He lives with the consequences. So as much as we teach it, we also ought to practice it. That if God says to do something, we do it the first time. Simple illustration. I've never used this for kids, but I'm hopefully, these the slides are kind of neat. I've been working really hard on the PowerPoint, so maybe we'll use it for a kid's class sometime. All right. We got about 30 seconds. Steve. Right. Right. Whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And, you know, God, when we ask for deliverance, he doesn't always grant it immediately because there's a lesson to be learned. Uh, you have to, this is where repentance is very important. We all want forgiveness. Uh, we all want to be saved. But sometimes when we have these consequences and we have to make a decision, am I going to do it again? Am I going to do it again? There are times we make a mistake, we don't learn from our mistake. Uh, just as a simple example, people are often repentant. We are often repentant when we get caught we're not repentant because we're truly sorry for what we've done. And I would argue that that may come into play here in the next two chapters, is Jonah is less upset about not taking the message of God than he is having to suffer the punishment for not taking the message of God. And people are like that. I've been in prisons, done a lot of jail ministry, and I've met a lot of people that when they, they, oh, I've got jailhouse religion. You know, I'm no change. I'm not going to be this way. We had a guy we baptized. He was preaching the gospel, baptizing people in jail. Got out. The moment he got out, went to a bar, got drunk, got in a fight. You know, what, what are you thinking? You go right back to the same things you were doing. You said you wouldn't do that. And Jonah is sorry for the situation he's found himself in. Uh, and when he gets to the city, he forgets or for whatever reason pushes aside the, the punishment he has has been given, and the second punishment is he wants to die in chapter 3 and 4. He, he actually asks for God to kill him because he's so upset that God has shown mercy to these people. 
So what a great story, right? Really neat story in the book of Jonah. I've heard a lot of sermons in one shot, but it's good to study it chapter by verse by chapter. All right. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.